Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church forward slash live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. So PPE, about seven weeks ago, this was an acronym that meant nothing to me. I don't think I had ever heard it once in my entire life. If you had quizzed me, if you said, Chris, what is PPE? I have no idea what I might have said. Now, we all buy so many things online. Like, is this a shipping term? Like some sort of primary package express program? You know, is it scientific? Some sort of, you know, primary potential energy, financial, personal, primary equity? I had no idea that PPE was your personal protective equipment. But I take some comfort in knowing I'm not the only one who had no idea what PPE was. If you study the Google Insights for this term, this is the last year of Google searches related to PPE. This is on a scale from zero to 100. So it hovered very close to zero for almost a year until suddenly by March 22nd on a scale of zero to 100, it reached 100. Because suddenly as a society, we were extremely interested in knowing what PPE is and why it's important. And of course for us, it's all been in the medical context right now because we want to know what is the protective equipment that medical professionals are going to need to do their job safely. And I know many of you have been helping out with this. I know many of you have donated masks or made masks and you're coming alongside right now. Last night my wife and I were, you know, a friend of ours was going to make some masks. We were picking out our fabric, you know, for the home PPE that we're going to want for this, this time that we're in now where we all need PPE in order to properly address the threat that we're all facing. And we continue to pray for our medical professionals that they will have the PPE that they need to safely care for those who are sick. But you know, there are other professions who have PPE, right? Think of a firefighter. They're famous for what they wear when they go in to fight a fire. They have the jacket and they have the pants that are all fireproof and they're very reflective and they usually have their name, their department, they have special helmets, they have respirators, they have tanks. You go to the airport, you see the men and the women who are outside, what do they have? Huge headphones, right? Because it's loud on the tarmac and their hearing would be damaged if they weren't protected from the sound of the jet engines. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who's a, a commercial painter, does paintings and coatings. I'm like, what kind of PPE do you guys use? It's like, oh, we use serious stuff. Blast hoods, medical grade masks, obviously coveralls, gloves. If we can get our thing inside, we work in rooms that have negative pressure so that the fumes are sucked out. I mean, you need to have PPE for so many different fields. Think of construction. If you're on a construction site, what's the one thing that everyone is supposed to be wearing? If you don't have your hard hat, you don't belong on the site. In fact, you'll get sighted. The safety manager is going to come and find you, and he's going to let you know you need to have your hard hat on. And then other workers on the site, they would have special things. Welders have hoods, and electricians have insulated tools. There's all sorts of PPE. 
And the PPE is going to be sort of matched to the size of the threat. And so if you're in a very dangerous situation, you'll have a lot of PPE. Not so dangerous, you'll scale it back a little bit. Think of sports. Sports kind of run the gamut of PPE. Golf. What kind of PPE do golfers use? Well, golf's not really that dangerous of a sport. What do you need to do as a golfer? Mostly you just do proper distancing. As long as you're far enough from the tee box when those guys are teeing off, you should be safe. Now, if you're on the eighth fairway and I'm on the fifth tee, you're not safe, just so you know. But you're supposed to be safe because I'm supposed to hit it this way, but I'm not going to, so you're a little bit in danger. But I think for golfers, the PPE that they usually use the most would be the, the cup holder on the coffee because they need to make sure they don't get the coffee on the polo shirt. That's probably all that golfers need for their PPE. Basketball, they're going to have a little bit more. You need to have a good high top tennis shoe. Ten that's the California in me calling them tennis shoes. Sneakers, right? You need to have a high top sneaker in order to play basketball safely. That's about it. A few of them wear a mouthpiece and that's it. If you play baseball, well, the PPE is going to be tailored to your position. If you're a fielder out there in the field, you don't really have anything. You just have your experience and you have your glove to catch the ball. That's why every now and then you'll see a fielder who's very close to the batter, like a pitcher, get tagged by the ball because he can't really protect himself in time. Batters, they, when they're in the box, they do have a helmet because the pitch is being thrown right past their chest, right past their belt, and they need to protect their head. But if you're the catcher, if you're behind the plate, then you're fully armored up. Mask, you know, shin guards, chest protector, cup. I've coached youth baseball for years. That's the number one thing we ask catchers. Are you wearing a cup? Because if you are not wearing a cup, you cannot catch. But in all the sports, who wears the most PPE? It's got to be American football, right? Helmet, pads, wrapped, rib guards, all kinds of protection because they're in the most risk. Their sport has the most bodily injury. And they're always innovating that PPE. They're trying to make the helmets better right now to cut down on concussions and other problems. They need that PPE if they're going to play the game safely and properly. But there's something in our human nature that I want to talk about because when it comes to PPE, even though it might be readily available, even though it might be heavily advised, there's something in us that often resists using PPE. So I've been thinking a lot about that this week. Why would we not want to use PPE? And I think there's a couple of categories that people very quickly fall into that they want to resist PPE. One is just simply the concept of denial. If we deny that there's a problem, then we don't have to kind of emotionally address it. We don't have to come to, gr to grips with something serious is happening. We can just deny, say, you know what? I don't really believe that there's a problem, so I'm not going to wear my PPE. And we've seen that. I mean, there's been a number of us who, during this coronavirus crisis, you know, we were slow to take on any sort of PPE until the government really said, listen, this is something you need to do. Not medical professionals. You've been smart in this from your training and from the beginning. It's the rest of us who are still growing in this. And I think in addition to denial, oftentimes it's an issue of pride where we feel like, you know what? I just don't need PPE. There's something about me, my machismo, my strength, my inner character, my constitution, whatever you know, term we come up with where we say, I don't really need PPE. This is for other people, but not me. I'm strong. I'm proud. I don't need it. And so we deny and we resist because of pride. And so today we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians. 
And I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're streaming on our new platform, if you're streaming, I'm just joking, the sound is still working. Did your heart stop just for a second? My own heart is still racing from when the sound didn't work. So, but it's working great. By the way, so on the new platform, if you're on a big screen, the Bible tab is on your right. If you're on a phone or a tablet, the Bible tab is going to be beneath us. Pull up Ephesians 6.10. We're going to be studying this. And Ephesians is a very interesting book. It's written to the people in a town called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is not around anymore. But in its day, Ephesus was a big deal. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So it wasn't their New York, it wasn't their Los Angeles, but it was their Chicago. Big place, a lot of culture. It was a coastal city right on the western border of Turkey, on the Mediterranean Sea. So that meant all the land trade that would happen in Turkey and into Asia would come into their port and then sail across the Mediterranean to Greece and on over to Rome. So it was a big place economically, a lot going on. And what they were most famous for is Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the world. It was this temple, the temple to the goddess Artemis, or Diana, depending on your language. This temple was so big, so beautiful, so grand, that those in the ancient world said it was on the scale of the pyramids, because it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And what was this big, beautiful, one of the most unbelievable buildings in the entire world, what was it dedicated to? dedicated to worshiping false gods. And so it wasn't just one building. The whole culture of Ephesus was built around this idea of worshiping false gods, this false goddess of Artemis. Well, Paul, St. Paul went there. You know St. Paul. He has a school in Garden City. St. Paul went there and he uh, taught the gospel to the people of Ephesus. And it went very, very well while he was there. In fact, if you read it, he went there in the 50s not the 1950s. We're not talking poodle skirts and Bel Air convertibles. The 50s, 50s, like 80, 53. St. Paul went there, and it's all recorded in the book of Acts, I think chapter 19. Um, and it talks about how when Paul would teach, you know, people would be healed. People who were tormented by evil spirits would be set free. It sounds a lot like the ministry of Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. And it went well. There were some problems that happened. There were actually some riots broke out because there were silversmiths, one of them named Demetrius, not our drummer, a different Demetrius. The riots broke out. This guy Demetrius, because he was making statues for pagan worship. No one was buying his statues anymore. You know, they shut down the economy for this whole false god thing. And so it was a big deal, but it went very, very well from a Christian perspective. So with that credibility, Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Ephesus later. And that's the book that we have, the book of Ephesians. Because Paul, even in his day, now had tremendous credibility to say, I can tell you how to overcome evil. And so he, in the end of his book, writes a summary statement. He makes an analogy for the PPE that a Christian needs in order to survive the threats in this world. And that analogy we call the armor of God. So I brought this guy with me today. This is our armor that we're going to talk about today. He's not exactly a Roman soldier. This is more like the Knights of the Round Table from the medieval period. Uh, and the reason for that is pretty simple. Uh, this is the one they had on Wayfair. And Wayfair is one of the only sites that's still shipping. Okay, But armor hasn't changed all that much. And so we can still kind of look at the armor that, what should, what should we call him? I guess we should just call him Arthur, right? Because he kind of looks like King Arthur. So he's, we've got Artie in his armor here. And Paul takes this analogy. And he says, the armor that you need in order to survive in the Christian life. So let's read Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's incredible depth and richness in this analogy of the armor of God. We could talk about this for weeks and months. I mean, it's, it's obvious because this, this is a summary statement of everything Paul has been talking about from the book of Ephesians, and he wants to anchor that truth in their hearts, and so he paints this word picture, and he starts by saying, listen, we're in a struggle. Other translations of the Bible, that was in verse 12, they say, we're in a fight or we're wrestling against these rulers and powers. We cannot deny that as Christians, we are in this battle. In the same way that four or five weeks ago, not everyone was sure yet that this virus was a big deal. In the same way that today, not everyone is sure if we're responding too much or not enough. We cannot deny that we Christians are in this fight and we must take on the armor of God if we're going to survive. We must take on the armor that God has given to us if we're going to engage in the fight. And so Paul starts to walk us through this. He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now, clearly he's talking about Roman soldiers. He didn't have to explain to his audience in Ephesus what a Roman soldier was like. They probably saw them almost every day. In those days, there wasn't a big difference between a military force and a police force like there is now. There was just the army, and the army was everywhere, and these were the legionnaires. These Roman soldiers were some of the finest soldiers that the world had ever seen. Some of the previous empires, they had sort of structured their army in a different way. It would be volunteers. Volunteers for the army are usually poor. Or it would be slaves and prisoners from previous campaigns. So you can imagine what that army was like. A few people who wanted to be there, but only because they had no other possible option. And a great number of people who didn't want to be there. And these were mostly the ancient armies of the world. Not so in Rome. Rome paid these professional soldiers. They were unmarried. They could do very well financially, especially because there were some opportunities to plunder. And they were gifted and skilled. The entire world knew that you needed to fear the Roman legionnaires. And so Paul is telling the Ephesians, and by, by extension, all of us as Christians, we need to be as ready for battle as these Roman soldiers. And he just paints a picture of what, that's look, what it kind of looks like. Paul goes through these in the order that a soldier gets dressed. So they're not in order of importance or anything like that. They're in the order that a soldier gets dressed because it's an analogy. So he starts by saying, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. All right, we already have a problem. Because armor doesn't have belts. If you look at any representation of armor, this is one single piece of equipment that extends from the collarbone almost to the knees. And this would have been the same 
for Roman soldiers. And if you think about it logistically, you would never want a belt in the middle of your armor because a belt means there's a seam. And these are some of your most vital organs. So why would you ever have a weak point in your armor at this place that's kind of, you know, to be feared and, and, and to be protected? And so what kind of belt is Paul talking about? See, if you read the, the original Greek, it doesn't actually say belt at all. The translators are trying to help us understand a concept because we don't say it anymore. What it literally says is that you need to gird your loins. No one says loins anymore. It's very bizarre. Who talks about girding your loins? But the word loin isn't as lost on you as we all might think. In fact, I have a favorite loin. I'm going to show you a picture of my loin that I love so much right now. The one that I really love is this loin right here, top sirloin. I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, tenderloin is also very good. Honestly, all these loins right here are, I'm great with these. Pork tenderloin is also tremendous. I really enjoy it. See, when it comes to animals, we still use this term all the time. So look at, look at our friend. If this is Arthur in the armor, this would be Chuck the cow, I guess, right? So we'll have Chuck the, oh, Chuck, his name's right here. I missed it. So if we look at Chuck the cow, he's got his loin right here. Where is it? It's in his abdomen, closer to the lower legs, but above the lower legs, right here, around and near so many of his vital organs. Nowadays, we call that your core. We know that if you're going to be strong, the first thing you need to do is you need to have a strong core. And so by taking this belt of truth and buckling it around your waist, what we're doing is we're fortifying our core strength with the truth. So you could actually think of it almost like a girdle. I know that's a very old-fashioned term. But they do have these lifting harnesses. You actually see them quite a bit in the holidays from delivery drivers because they're lifting boxes all day, every day. And they'll often have a harness. It's going to kind of extend from here to here. They usually have overall straps on the top. You'll also see it. Uh, power lifters will wear heavy belts as well. And Paul says that belt is being committed to truth. And in that truth that he's talking about is the truth of saying you are in this battle. And if you don't know that from the beginning, if you haven't embraced the truth of being in the battle, then the rest of the armor is going to overwhelm you. You can't wear armor if you don't have the core strength to pull it off. And so it's very important that your core is strengthened by staying committed to the truth. Next, we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Clearly a chest protector that's going over where? Over our hearts. Paul is saying, if you want to protect your heart, you have to live in righteousness. You can't just live any way that you want. You have to live God's way. You have to adhere to his moral principles. I mean, think what would happen to our soldier if he wasn't armored here on his chest. He would be immediately lost. The first arrow that came, the first spear that came, the first lance that came, the first rock that was thrown hard would be a serious risk to him. And Paul says, if you want to protect your chest, if you want to be sure that you're taken care of, the way that you guard your heart is by protecting yourself and living with righteousness. Now, that's not enough. Some people will tell you, well, as long as you're a good person, as long as you live the right way, I think you're going to be fine. Well, picture that Roman soldier who's only wearing his chest plate. They're still dead within the hour. But it's part of what this armor looks like. It's part of the overall picture of understanding how to have the PPE that we need. Now, in addition to the breastplate, Paul says we have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
And again here, he's intentionally leaving out certain words. He didn't say feet fitted with shoes or sandals, although you see some of those words in translation because they're kind of trying to help us step over this point. Paul is saying your feet need to be fitted with readiness. Now remember, Paul didn't have to describe to his audience what a Roman soldier looked like. They were very familiar, and they would have known that Roman soldiers wore heavy boots. In fact, our soldier here, his boots are very similar. They extend all the way up to the knee. But to be fitted meant something else even more important that you can't see because the Roman combat boot had nails sticking out the bottom and sticks and sometimes stones embedded because they were building cleats. Every athlete who plays in outdoor sports is vitally familiar with cleats. The soldiers wore the same thing so that they could grip the ground, so that they could be sure of their footing in any situation, especially when they were under siege. So Paul says, how do you have that kind of stability? How do you become so rooted? How do you become anchored so that you can have a foundation from which to work? He says, that's the gospel, the message, the word of peace. Have you ever been in a season where you weren't feeling particularly peaceful? Sometimes in my house, when we have those moments, we'll say to each other, hey, hashtag drama, because it kind of feels like, hey, not a lot of peace in the house right now. And when you have drama in one part of your life, it stays in that one part of your life, right? Like everything else will be perfect, and you just have drama in that one little spot. Of course not. Drama spreads across your whole life until you have no peace whatsoever. And Paul is saying, you have to be fitted in peace. Anchored in the peace and the confidence of knowing that you are God's child. So we have to pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. We've heard this before. What's been given to Christians, the ministry of reconciliation, bringing together, making peace, that which had been torn apart. Part of the PPE that a Christian needs is peace in our souls, that peace that passes understanding. When Paul's talking in Philippians about how to pray, he says that, after you pray, you'll have a peace that will transcend, go beyond what you're even able to understand Then the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Roman soldiers were famous for their shield. It was actually their most defining characteristic, and it's the reason that I'm making fun of Artie here, because you can tell he's not a Roman because of his shield, because the Roman shield was not tapered. It was, it was longer, and it was kind of rounded. You could hug it around your body. It actually looks quite a bit like the shields that riot police will use to this day, and what was interesting about the shield is you could almost get your whole body behind it, but the Roman army was taught how they could lock their shields together to protect. In fact, here's some reenactors. They're in a formation they call the turtle. And look at this. They're standing so close together, the shields are touching one to another on the side, and they've created a roof by all the soldiers that are in the middle. And so as they're advancing, as their enemy is lobbing arrows at them, they're protected. You see, that shield had tremendous strength, especially when used in unity with other soldiers. Here's some other reenactors who really show you the power of the shield when used in unity.
you're like me, you're going to go home and stream Gladiator now. But you can see how in the strength of this shield is in unity, and they could be drawn together and protected. So what is that protection that protects us from the flaming arrows of the enemy? The Bible tells us that the shield of protection is actually God himself, and it's all over the poetry of the Old Testament. I mean, Psalm 3.3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. God is protecting you. He's looking over you personally, individually, specifically. He is your shield that will protect you if you fully embrace and you sit under his authority. And finally, after that, Paul starts to talk about the helmet of salvation. I found this one very interesting. In fact, I read a book this week called The Full Armor of God by Larry Richards. And he unpacked the helmet of salvation in a way that I had never heard before. But after having heard it, I believe that's exactly what Paul meant. See, the helmet, for a Roman soldier in particular, was their one chance to express a little bit of individuality. Their one chance to kind of let people know who they were and what they were about. And so not every helmet would be the same. A lot of them would have plumes or feathers or horse hairs. You know, you may have seen the like, I am Spartacus Mohawk is very common. Sometimes it would go the other way. They would also decorate their helmets with gold or with silver because they wanted to show people that they had been very successful, that they had been a good soldier. In fact, we don't have time to go into it, but there's in the Gospels a centurion, which means a legionnaire of authority, one who commands either 100 or 1,000 men. A centurion came to see Jesus, and all of the authors of the Bible immediately identified him as a centurion. He didn't introduce himself, say, hi, I'm Carl the centurion. No, no, no. They knew as he approached, most likely based on his helmet. See, the helmet of a soldier told you so much about who they are and, of course, who they belong to. God is saying, you are wearing my helmet. You are mine. That helmet of salvation is one of identity. See, the enemy wants to take that from you. The enemy wants to tell you, hey, when things get tough, when you're in these seasons where you need to embrace your PPE, the enemy wants to say, no, no, no. You don't have what it takes. Remember last time how bad you messed up? You're going to mess up again. You don't belong to anybody. You're alone. You're floating. You're out there. No, no, no. The helmet of salvation says you are God's child. You're his daughter. You're his son. He's watching over you in this conflict. No one can take you from him. You're wearing the beautiful helmet of salvation. Earlier in Ephesians, remember this armor of God is a summary statement of a whole book. He unpacked it more fully right at the beginning of the book where he said, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The helmet of salvation that's yours has been given to you by God. And after that, we arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And people love to point this out. The only weapon 
that we have in the armor of God is his word. That as we go into battle, as we go, as we're protected by the PPE of the gospel, his scripture, that is what we bring to the table. That is what we use as our weapon in this conflict. So what does all that really look like? How does that entire analogy hang together in our world, our culture, our lives today? We're seeking to be a person who's secure in the truth. That's the core of who we are. That we protect our hearts by living God's way. We don't allow the foothold of the enemy to come in through destructive habits and addictions and behaviors, but we live his way, keeping our hearts pure and protected. We live lives of peace and confidence because we're rooted in who God is. We're not pulled this way or that way by drama, but we stay committed to who he is. We're protected by God himself as a community, as a church. We are those soldiers brought together under his shield for protection. We wear his helmet because we're proud that we're his people. We're proud to know that we are in this fight for him and we have his word embedded in our hearts to equip us to go out and serve him in this world. That is our PPE that we need for this battle. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up and Trevor as well. They're going to lead us through communion in the next part of the service. But I, I want to think about for us what that really means. Because each Sunday in this Unshakable Hope series, we're not only talking about, you know, the, how to protect ourselves. See, we're talking about the promises of God and the unshakable hope that we have in God is rooted in his promises. And the promise that we look into this week is that Jesus has already won this victory. So it's not that we're trying to protect ourselves, hoping to somehow survive this battle. It's not that we're somehow hoping to be preserved to live to fight another day. No, the PPE of the Christian has armed us for the victory that is certain that has come in the person of Christ. For Christ in all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you, us, have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This victory is already won. It's already been made sure in Christ. But the way that God works in his holy and sovereign will is he had that victory and he has invited us to participate with him in that victory. See, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. You, dear children, that's us, are from God and have overcome them. Who's them? We have overcome these evil spirits that do not acknowledge God. We've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the promise that God has given us today. That we know and we understand that victory is known. Victory was secured at the cross and will be confirmed at Jesus' second coming. And you, armed with his PPE, are invited to participate in that victory with him. Right now, we're in one of the most uncertain times I think many of us have ever known. 
We're not sure because so many people have lost work. So many people are sick. So many people are disconnected. So many people are isolated. We have nothing but insecurities. Be secure in knowing God has won this victory and he has brought us into that with him. Would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we worship you today. So thankful that you've given us the armor of God. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. God, forgive us for the times when we've been reluctant to engage in the struggle. Forgive us for the times that we denied that there was even a need. But God, empower us and send us forward knowing that we are protected by you and brought into this battle. Teach us more about who you are and more about ourselves that we can follow you in this. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.